Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 5th of March 2013. As usual, I suggest newcomers, and there's always newcomers coming in to the broadcast, to go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help themselves to the free audios out there for download. And there's lots to go through. It's one half thousand of them now, I think. And remember, the sites you'll see on the com sites or all the official sites, they all carry audios. If you find sticking on download in one, try another, because sometimes everybody goes into the com site at the same time. And they all carry transcripts in English for prints up as well, of many of the talks I've given. And if you go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, you can can uh, get transcripts in other languages. Member two, as I always say, you're the audience that brings me to you because I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I don't sell products except for the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And uh, I don't have shares in any companies or anything like that. All I came out to do in the beginning was to change the direction that everything uh, seemed to be stuck in uh, of uh, navel-gazing, especially in the U.S. I didn't realize this was a world order that was coming in. It had been designed well over 100 years ago. And that many of the changes throughout the last hundred years were leading up to the big changes that are happening now. Big foundations, private organizations were all, had already mapped out the world. They mapped out the big corporations which they owned and their members owned and how they would take over the world. All of its resources use academia to train a managerial class for the world and basically train the population to have fewer children as they would die off and they'd bring in the new kinds of eugenics and so on and create a better form of slaves and not so many of them. Uh, and no kidding, this is all written by top scientists and so on, very important people. They all published their books. H.G. Wells called it the open conspiracy. He was all part of it too as a propagandist. And it's true, everything's out there if you want to read it as to what's happened and why you've got the culture that you have today. All the things that would have to be destroyed to make it happen. And one was Christianity, by the way. Like it or, or hates it, it doesn't matter. The fact is Christianity had to, had to go because it gave you a, what they said was an old contaminated form of morality. And a man would have to be put off, put off his pedestal to realize he was just another animal and life would become cheaper. Well, that's already here. Every, everything that they said they bring in is actually here. So remember too, to keep me going, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you can donate as well, hopefully. And from the US to Canada, remember, personal checks are still good, as are international postal money orders from the post office. You can also send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union, uh, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. But we truly live in a planned society. An awful long uh, time, there's been generations actually going through this, and, and they didn't know it themselves. The, people adapt to changes, mainly because everyone else is adapting at the same time. And uh, the individuality is discouraged these days, of course. And so you understand that um, the society that even you brought up to, in today 
youngsters today at 15 years of age, uh, the future is already planned and designed for them, including the initial early indoctrination of big changes still to come and very diff- and different uh, social morals and so on. They'll all change in their life and they've been prepped for them, just as the previous generation was prepped for them too, for the changes they've experienced in their lifetime. It's a simple science, actually, and I've often mentioned that Beria, who was the chief of the secret police in Russia, when he gave a talk at the Comintern back in the 1930s to the World Communist Society, he said that we can used to a generation, 70 years, to get even a small change through in, in a people. Now he says we can do it as quickly and update them, upgrade them, you call it today, in three to four years in, in many aspects all at the same time. The scientific indoctrination, the television and so on is better than ever now. So easy. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix, talking about the big system of course, and really that's all there is to talk about these days because the changes are coming quick and very furious in a sense too, uh, and in your face from a lot of different sources to get you acclimatized and used to the idea that you're now under authoritarian control because they said that democracy would never work. Now they keep using democracy to get people into the, you know, for all the wars we're creating across the world, so-called bringing forced democracy across the world by bombing folk out of existence and, and their infrastructure and everything else. This is the way of bringing democracy in. What they really mean by that is standardizing the world and getting the country rebuilt uh, and on an, they have to borrow from the IMF, of course, to get the cash in and the World Bank. And then they get into a central banking private system. And then, of course, they're in perpetual debt like everybody else across the world. And that's the big agenda. It's quite simple. Money controls the world. That's the power of money. And that's why they'll never change the system or those in control of the money power at the top. But countries like uh, that uh, there happen to be ex-Soviet countries, are really in a mess, a really a real mess, because they were looted like crazy by the Politburo and all the officials that ran Russia uh, during the Soviet system. And they all fled out to the West, taking millions and billions with them, actually, and left the place in absolute chaos. They looted the countries. But countries like Bulgaria that was left, uh, says, uh, there's a little article about it. It says, where Western democracy, which is a joke, too, because it's under the EU, which is not democratic at all, meets Russian-style corruption. And it tells you what's happened in Bulgaria. Quite an interesting article to do with uh, the fact they're still tied to the corrupt Soviet system or Russian system for their electricity and so on, and for many developments that are still going on, or to happen, actually, some of them, in Bulgaria. And they're, they're really... They've even mentioned here, too, when the, la- the last government stepped down because of a, of the big dispute over the electricity prices had skyrocketed with these private companies. And it says that... Uh, it was under full control that this electricity system of corporate oligarchies in Moscow and in Sofia. Bulgaria has a special position in Moscow's energy strategy. Strong pressure has been exercised upon successive Bulgarian governments since the early 2000s to accept several large Russian energy projects on Bulgarian soil. The Burgas Alex Drupalis oil pipeline was developed in the early 1990s and a framework agreement between Russia, Greece and Bulgaria was signed in Athens in 2007. And it says the project envisaged almost no benefits for Bulgaria, 
but posed high-level environmental risks and other liabilities for the Bulgarian Black Sea coast, a popular tourist area. It says that the GERB government, GRB, consequently revoked Bulgarian participation in the project in 2010. The South Stream Gas Pipeline is the second major Russian project in Bulgaria, inked by a contract between Sofia and Moscow in late 2012. It was intent by Russian President Vladimir Putin to offset the implementation of the EU's third energy package, made effective in January the 1st, 2013. And it says, and also they want to put in a nuclear reactor from a Russian-made one in there too, which they don't really need, it says right now, because they won't need that amount of electricity until about the late 2030s. And part of the reason, it doesn't say it in this article, but it says in others, part of the reason is there'll be very, so, so few young folk left there in Bulgaria uh, that they simply won't be having families and living there. Everyone's trying to get out of the place because it's, it's really deprived. And again, too, the official dumb is awfully corrupt at the top. And even all the millions are getting given to them, uh, of course, to get into debt too by the EU uh, and the EU central banking system. Um, they can't, they can't pay it back. Obviously, they're so destitute. But that's the state that uh, the so-called wonderful communists left the countries in when they looted them and robbed them and ran off to the states and different countries with all the loot. I'll put this article up tonight. It's quite interesting for those who want to see what's happening in parts of Europe. Now, I've mentioned so many times about the cultural changes. Now, cultural changes, uh, according to Bertrand Russell, who was given uh, authority in Britain to do sort of experimental systems of schooling on on children that would have hung anybody else at the time when he promoted pre-pubertal sex, Amongst these young children to see if they would ever stay with a partner after that. I think it's so promiscuous, would they ever stay with a partner? The idea being that the future they envisaged was to bring in promiscuity down the road so the people wouldn't mate for life, they wouldn't have children, the population would plummet, and government would be, it wouldn't have little clans of, or, or, of people or families around there standing up to them, standing up for one person in the family. Uh, the, the government, uh, even H.G. Wells did the same thing. Government's uh, ultimate goal is to have them talking right down to you, little old you, and nobody else in the way or around you. That's, that's friends or family. Friends desert you first, you see. So everything was done a long, long time ago. But part of it, too, was it was to destruct, destroy all morality. They call it contamination of previous cultures, meaning Christian values. And you got to understand that the Christian values that gave you a working societies where you didn't go around murdering each other or raping each other's children. I'm not kidding about that. And of course, uh, the new system, of course, there's no right and wrong. There's no good or evil. They'll tell you that. It's very Kabbalistic, of course. But uh, here's how far it's gone now. It says roughly 55 students gathered in Lindsay, Chittenden Hall, Saturday t- t- evening to learn about masochistic sexual pre- practices such as those depicted in Fifty Shades of Grey. This is from Yale University. This is the workshop was part of Sex Weekend. It's a shortened 3D version of Sex Week, a series of events on sex-related topics held every other year. Sex Weekend has been held sporadically in the past, marks the start of an effort to host sex-related events annually to make the program more institutionalized, organizers said. 
and sex weekend activities include six lectures and three small group discussions on topics including sexual health and AIDS activism. We've got lots of group and campus pertaining to sexuality, but I think what Sex Week does is clarify all these dialogues and brings it into a space where students can figure out what should be talked about, what issues should we be discussing. And what they do too, as I say, is, is uh, try to get you uh, desensit or sensitized, you know, like sensitivity to training, to folk who've tried bestiality and, and various other things, cinemasochism, things like that, so that so you you don't look down on them anymore because you're just you're, you're taught it's all quite normal, you see. And they actually say that in this is nothing is really normal at all because that is the new normal, isn't it? To destroy all the old, definitely normal. But um. I'll put that up tonight too, and another one talks about the sensitivity to training to bestiality. And it says, um, sexologist Dr. Jill McDevitt was there doing the worship entitled Sex, Am I Normal? Students anonymously asked and answered questions about sex using their cell phones and viewed their responses in real time and so on. It was hosted by sexologist, who's in quotation marks, Dr. Joel McDevitt, who owns a sex store called Feminique in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Survey responses revealed that 9% of attendees had been paid for sex, 3% had engaged in bestiality, and 52% had participated in consequential pain during sex, uh, according to an article published in the Yale Daily News Monday. This is uh, event director Juliana Berry, 14 told Canvas Reform in an interview on Monday that the workshop was brought to Canvas to teach students not to automatically judge people who may have engaged in these sort of activities, but rather to respond with understanding and compassion. This is people do engage in some of these activities that we believe only for example, uh, for perverts engaging, she says. What the goal is is to increase the compassion for people who may engage in activities that are not what you would personally consider normal. So in other words, it's once again to muddy everything that's normal. McDevitt referred to the range of activities discussed in the workshop as sexual diversity. Everything's diverse now, isn't it? There's there's no unity and normalcy. It says it tries to get people to be more sensitive to sexual diversity. And it says we're not all heterosexual, able-bodied folks who are standard missionary sex, they say. Several students submitted discussion topics about having uh, incestuous sexual fantasies. Attendee Alex Sidi, good name, 15, told the news that he first found it surprising, but then thought it might be more of a psychological thing we all might have. I think that's just what the point of the the workshop was, to bring up these things we thought were so taboo and desire or urges uh, uh, we criticize are just regular parts of sexual psychology, he said. During the workshop, when David taught that approximately 40% student, or 40 students are just because people think something is deviant does not mean that it's bad. It's sensitivity training, McDevitt told Campus Reform. Don't judge other people because we all have something we are embarrassed about. So as part of Yale's Sex Weekend and so on. From February 28th, it ran through March 3rd. And sponsors include Yale Women's Centre, Undergraduate Organisations Committee, the Sexual Harassment and Assault Response Education Centre at Yale, and SELF, the Sexual Literacy Forum. So that's the new normal, where everything's normal, you see. And if you want to look at your children, maybe you should, you know, feel sorry for them or have, you know, understand where they're coming from. I don't know, if you can. But uh, that's the new world. That's the new world we're living in. 
And I've also got an article I'll read further on too about uh, <laughs> the, the amazing. There was one here actually. It's thousands of under 18 year olds are now sexually abusing children every year, warns the NSPCC. More than 5,000 cases were reported to the police in the last three years. This is just Britain alone. The acts were committed by children as young as five, sexually assaulting others. number of sex offences by under-18s has risen 38% since 2009-10. And the NSPCC said that indecent material online has uh, contributed to the rise. And so... It says the charity found there were more than 5,000 cases of abuse by under-18s reported to the police. As in some instances, uh, acts of sexual abuse were committed by children as young as five or six. And it says the NSPCC has blamed this number on the rise of hardcore pornography that is readily available online. And they keep telling you, oh, there's, there's no connection. Of course there is, folks. It comes after a 15-year-old boy was convicted of raping a 14-year-old girl. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the rise of child rape, basically, by children, on other children. And it says here, this comes after a 15-year-old boy was convicted of raping a 14-year-old girl after watching sadistic porn last week. The girl was gagged, bound and beaten up as she attempted to re- as he attempted to reenact scenes he'd seen on the internet. The boy's father condemned politicians and ministers for not protecting children from adult, especially violent material online. It's not just online now. This, you've got all these awful television things coming out, these drama series by the BBC, uh, and they're weird enough. It says the Daily Mail has been campaigning for an automatic block on all adult material online as part of its block online porn campaign. Well, you know, you know something? If the big boys didn't want the porn there, it wouldn't be there. And yet they've had it there from the beginning because it's one of the main attractions to get folk into the internet using computers in the first place. So that's not going to happen. Nearly all 98% of the 4,562 young offenders were boys and where the relationship was recorded, at least three out of five of the victims knew their abuser. More than a third of the offenses were said to be committed by a family friend or acquaintance and one in five by family members. A lot of this was homosexual abuse too. So NSPCC obtained a stats through freedom of information request to each of the 43 police forces in England and Wales. Only 34 forces supplied figures, revealing a total of 5,028 offences. So the true number of offences is likely to be higher, the NSPCC said. The findings follow a report by probation inspectors last month, which found that police, social workers and teachers were missing the warning signs that a child may sexually offend. And it says that uh, they were warned that easy access to indecent material could be leading to an increase in the number of children needing help. And it says that the charities found that more children were carrying out online grooming and harassment. Uh, Claire Lilly, policy advisor to NSPCC, said she hoped the findings would ring alarm bells with authorities that their problem required urgent action. One time they would say that the parents, but now it's authorities because they deal with all the, the parents are out of the picture. And, and what's left to any modern family, understand? In some cases, older children are attacking younger ones. In other cases, it's, it's sexual violence within a teenage relationship. Well, more, needs, more research needs to be done, right? <laughs> They've been doing that for 60, 70 years. 
We know that technology and easy access to sexual material is warping young people's views of what's normal or acceptable behaviour. We're treating an increasing number of children who've carried out online grooming, harassment and chat in chat rooms and sexting, they call it. Children who are sexually abusive often have been victims of abuse, harm and trauma themselves. Exposure to this can make them think abusing someone or being sexually violent is okay. Well, if you look at so the, the ill thing, we're supposed to have, uh, we, everyone who thinks this, this, this stuff is wrong should get sensitivity training, you know, and bestiality too, you know, when they're going after your pets next. Imagine bringing visitors and they go after your pets, for God's sake. It's bad enough you're going after your children or your wife or your son, but now they're after your pets as well. And the Yale one, of course, also says that, you know, pretty well everything's normal. <laughs> so that's that one. Now, for those who really don't know what's going on uh, with since 9-11, long before 9-11, in fact, they were building up, again, in the public consciousness, mainly through big TV series, long-running series like... Uh, uh, NYPD Blue and so on The need for SWAT teams And then you got more and more SWAT teams And cop shows and so on Making you think it was really dangerous out there Than it was at the time And then since 2001 It's been martial law almost And everything but name, right? It's martial law But they've been building up internal armies For years and years and years Because they knew all that time ago Because the world's run like a big business plan with certain things to happen in 10 years' time, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50. Just like the the Stalinists had it too. And that's how the UN has its own 10, 15, 20-year, 30-year plans and so on for different projects. So you've got um, the government, of course, even long before 9-11 happens, getting all prepared for it and uh, uh, to change society, to make it into an authoritarian society and change your idea and perception and your concept of what democracy, if you thought you had some, was all about. But anyway, there's another bill out there, as um, another vendor they put out there for uh, by the Homeland Security Department, and it's for the Heckler and Hawk Company. Now, Heckler and Hawk is a, a company that makes very uh, popular uh, weapons for special forces and for close close quarter battle. They call it too. And you'll see a lot of these ones in, in a lot of the movies that you watch. Very big armaments company. And so there's a big tender out there for, I guess it's probably for their, their the lines of their their fully automatic machine guns that they have uh, for, for what's coming. Again, mainly for close quarter battle. They, they specialize in this kind of stuff. So it's a big tender being put in for that one. I'll put that up tonight too. And this one here says... Um, the DHS purchased armoured vehicles that can withstand ballistic arms fire. I've got two or three links on that one, actually, and I'll put them up tonight. And you see the size of these armoured vehicles, like monster trucks. And they've got the big, uh, probably bulletproof tyres on them as well. And uh, lots of other gadgets and gizmos. And they're supposed to be bomb-proof uh, and and can go over mines and they won't get blown up and all that, all that kind of stuff. And it can and deflect IED blasts away from the vehicle and is recommended for combat conditions such as seen in Afghanistan. So that should understand when you're reading these things, it should be telling you what they want it for. Combat conditions within the United States, such as seen in Afghanistan. Huh? Think about it, folks. Big things are coming. Back with more after this. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, talking about the, the ordering of all these weapons and and machines for the Department of Homeland Security in the U.S. And remember that they're ordering 2,717 of these heavy-duty armored vehicles for use inside the U.S. And uh, it says here that uh, it can deflect IED blasts away from the vehicle and is recommended for combat conditions such as in Afghanistan. So that's what they're designed for, but here they want them for the U.S., Two plus two equals what? And it says here, um, when creating a makeshift terrorist bomb, ammonium nitrate is an internal ingredient. The Department of Homeland Security was given oversight of procurement of ammonium nitrate after Congress requested they regulate the sale and transfer of ammonium nitrate by an ammonium nitrate facility to prevent the misappropriation or use of this ammonium nitrate in acts of terrorism. And this is quite a long article, actually, I've put up tonight for those who want to read it. And uh, it says the most recent solicitation the DHS made for 240,000 hollow-point bullets has made quite a stir in the alternative media. And last August, the, the Pacific Southwest region, the U.S. Forest Service has solicited ammunition that's supposedly needed for target practice. In this instance, the amounts of hollow-point bullets... 12-gauge rifle slugs and other accessories are smaller than DHS had requested through other federal agencies. Now remember, too, uh, hollow-point bullets under the United Nations in times of war against other soldiers are illegal. It's a big no-no. But they're allowed to use them on their own populations for internal peace. And and so the, the DHS previously ordered more than 63 million rounds of Point forty, Smith and Wesson jacketed hollow point bullets. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration NOAA published a solicitation for sixteen thousand rounds of point forty Smith and Western uh, hollow points. And the Social Security Office has also made a solicitation for one hundred seventy four thousand rounds of three point five seven hollow point bullets. Is the DHS army uh, arming a private army with hollow point bullets with intent to shoot, shoot American uh, armed forces, U.S. veterans and civilians? Major General Jen Jerry Curry, who is a decorated combat veteran, an army aviator, paratrooper and ranger, has asked the question, who does the government intend to shoot? In an op-ed piece, Curry brings up the strange purchase of hollow point bullets the Department of Homeland Security has made recently through other federal agencies like the Social Security Office and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. The DHS has have ordered several thousand hollow points bullets as well. He says that no one yet has uh, said what the purpose of these purchases happens to be. Uh, they were led to, to believe that they will be used in an emergency to counteract and control civil unrest. Those against whom the hollow points uh, bullets are to be used, those calling the civil unrest, must be American citizens since the SSA has never been used overseas to help foreign countries maintain control of their citizens. The Geneva Convention outlaws the hollow point bullets on battlefields because of their deadly nature. Uh, it really does. I mean, it blows a big hole through your back, a small hole in the front. Curry asks if DHS intends to shoot the nation's military and replace them with Department of Homeland Security, <laughs> Special Security Forces, forces loyal to the administration, not to the Constitution. 
And last October, the U.S. House of Reps introduced H.R. 6566, which is an amendment of the Homeland Security Act of 2002 that imbues the administration of the Federal Emergency Management Agency to provide guidance and coordination for mass fatality planning and for other purposes. So it reminds me of all the books I've read on uh, uh, when before the Bolsheviks took over uh, Russia, and right up to the end, people didn't think it really happened or didn't likely go on as usual under a new regime. Same thing happened with uh, in Nazi Germany. All the signs were there, but folk didn't uh, think it would happen. And, of course, all hell broke loose. And this is how people are. They can't believe it. See, you think you live in a first world country. And it could, these things could never happen here. And that's the biggest weakness you have. Because it hasn't happened here yet. Understand, but look, the, the signs that are going on are more than the Russians got, and, and more than the Germans got. They're all around you. And Milwaukee police purchase a massive—they call it tank—to patrol the streets. It's actually a, an armored vehicle, huge monster of a thing. Too quite a picture of it. I'll, I'll put that up t- tonight, and um, you can look at the size of this big monster armored uh, tr- truck. Quite some indeed. Uh, so there are lots of them coming in now. The national debt's increased by more than $6 trillion since President Obama took office, marketing the largest increase under any president in history. The Treasury Department's Bureau of Public Debt Friday published its daily debt record, showing the government's total debt topped $16.687 trillion. CBS News reported on January 20, 2009, when Obama took office, the debt was $10.626 trillion. Less than two months into President Obama's second term, New numbers show the national debt increased by more than $6 trillion since it took office. The Office of Management and Budget Projects of the national debt will continue to increase by more than $800 billion this year alone. And, well, normality goes on, because this seems to be normal, isn't it? And another article, too, getting back to the tank dealer, the armored vehicles. Obama DHS purchases 2,700 light armored tanks to go with their 1.6 billion bullet stockpile. I'll put that one up too. And again, another thing too is they get this all into our subconscious and our minds. Rise of the machines, army robot that can run faster than a man and throws huge cinder blocks around like a child throwing a toy. Says uh, these are the latest chilling images of the LS3 Alpha Dog. The four-legged robot that DARPA, the U.S. Defense Agency responsible for development of new technologies for use by the military, is developing. Previous reports have described the prototype part of the Big Dog project as a robotic battlefield pack mule capable of carrying 400 pounds of equipment to help human soldiers in combat. But the latest footage reveals that the Alpha Dog has developed a scary new skill, throwing cinder blocks around with relative ease. And it gives you a little picture of it all below doing it. Uh, so, uh, I don't know, as I say, people will just ignore everything until the balloon goes up, as they say. Scientists, of course, were in the age of uh, scientific uh, dictatorship. They're really working on behalf of the big bankers, the, on behalf of the big bankers at the top, the Putin power. Because uh, Lord Bertrand Russell, who helped design this part that we're living in today, the whole culture, the whole thing, all the big changes, back in the 1950s talked about the coming scientific dictatorship. And it would be utterly ruthless, he said. He was all for it. He said it would be utterly ruthless. And um, and the public would have to be trained to obey them. And most folk have already obeyed. You just put expert there and, and, and they'll believe them. It's very easy. 
Scientists say exclusive club to assume command of global geoengineering that they're not doing, of course. And it says, Scientific publications envisions a strategic multilateral implementation of planetary-scale geoengineering through an exclusive club that increases benefits to members at the expense of those excluded. In a recent publication published by Environmental Research Letters, three scientists have published the results of a computer simulation game probing several scenarios on how best organize a unilateral implementation scheme of global geoengineering. One is a sufficiently powerful international coalition might be able to deploy solar geoengineering. Here we should show that regional differences in climate outcomes create strategic incentives to form coalitions that are as small as possible while still powerful enough to deploy solar engineering. Defining geoengineering as intentionally reducing the amount of sunlight that reaches the Earth's surface through the use of stratospheric aerosols, spraying in other words. The authors use climate models, such as one used by the IPCCs, as the basis for the gaming activities, which they describe as global thermostat-setting games. Now, they've been doing it since 98 solid. That's when they were in action altogether across different countries in the world, spraying us daily with this stuff. The characteristics of coalitions to geoengineer climate modeling using global thermostat-setting games based on climate model results and the coalition members have incentives to exclude non-members that would prevent implementation of solar geoengineering at a level that's optimum for the existing coalition, authors Catherine Rick and Ken Caldera points out. Under rules and assumptions, the authors explain that the game takes place in two stages. During the first stage, players choose their memberships and the winning coalition is formed. In the second stage, the winning coalition acts as a single actor to maximize the benefits of gene engineering to all coalition members. Players outside the coalition do not make decisions at this stage. And it says from the assertion that man-made climate change will have different results from region to region, the scientists involved in this modeling business factor these differences into their global thermostat-setting game, as a result of which... uh, research different international coalitions that would be most likely to succeed in starting and maintaining a global geoengineering effort. And they go through it all, and and through it all, and through it all. It's quite a lengthy article. And also, in the same page, you'll find a link to the latest Global Risks report, warned that a rogue nation or individual could hijack global climate change for various purposes. Well, I think they did that already, didn't they? That's your own governments, that is. The report mentions several possible scenarios or X factors which would occur in the coming year, amongst which page 57, a geoengineering nightmare according to the report in which country or small group of countries precipitates an international crisis by moving ahead with deployment or large-scale research independent of the global community. The global climate could, in effect, be hijacked by a rogue country or even a wealthy individual with unpredictable costs to agriculture, infrastructure and global stability. Well, the U.S. is leading it for the Americas, and as I said, been doing it since 1998. They actually have official globing, global dimming now. You look up global dimming, and NASA admitted that too, with all this masses of spray in the air. You don't get a perfectly blue sky anymore when they're spraying and mushes into this awful mush above your head, and starts filtering out sunlight. And it's also affecting uh, the weather, which is really getting too cold, of course. But that's the uh, the attorney, the scientist that Russell was talking about. They they would have all this power. And also a link tonight where Lord Christopher Monckton says it's time to to jail the climate scamsters. I'll put this up tonight for those who want to see it.
And um, as I say, he goes through the usual thing you know, is there's been no global warming for 17 years, etc., etc. And also put up a link tonight uh, to, from an Australian politician who took part in the summit, and she talks about the Gen 21 and everything else they're doing in Australia and how this all ties in with that too. And, you know, I've always said this, you'll never get any partial truth even, not even a partial truth about any major player in the world until at least 50, 60 years after they're dead. You know, because, and they also have these contracts too of silence under official secrets acts. But it says that revealed the banker who shaped the modern financial world after World War II was a Soviet spy who wanted America to become communist, it says. Harry Dexter White has got here, but it's actually was Waits or something, represented U.S. at Bretton Woods Conference in 1944. He helped create the institution which led to capitalism taking over the world. Bank for International Settlements that the Royal Institute of International Affairs wanted, because he was one of their boys, by the way. I've told you they wanted to bring in a form of communism. See, the big bankers ran and still run the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations. And, and this actually, uh, it actually adds and confirms the inquiries that were done in the 1950s to do with uh, uh, the big foundations which were funding the far, far left, and, and the, the Congress sent out the Rees Commission to find out why they were doing this. Well, this is all CFR, Royal Institute of International Affairs, you see the bankers at the top. And uh, they found out during that, that inquiry that the Soviet system, when it would sort of fade away, would also transfer its culture into the West and would become one, one culture. It's already happened. Anyway, Harry Dexter quite recently, the U.S. of Bretton Woods Conference in 44, helped create the institutions which led to capitalism taking over the world, but he harbored communist views and dreamed of Soviet domination. He says he was the architect of the post-war financial system, and it's now emerged that the brilliant commons was in fact a staunch anti-capitalist, who worked for the big bankers, eh? Who privately praised the Soviet Union's communism. He wasn't so private about it. Documents unearthed at Princeton University prove that, although White devoted his life to strengthening Western capitalism, he secretly despised the system he created and believed it would eventually be overtaken by the state-controlled economy of the USSR and its allies. Now, the column of genius, I know why they call him this, because some certain people do, did not live long enough to find out how wrong he was, as he died in 1940 before the decades-long boom enjoyed by the US and Europe and the slow decline of the East. And it says that uh, the astonishing revelation of White's communist sympathies finally explains why he agreed to spy on his own country for the Soviets. Where he didn't actually see his own country. A lot of them didn't, in fact. Even while representing America at the 1944 Bretton Woods Conference, which would determine the post-war economic order. Even though the conference ensured a post-war global financial climate dominated by the American dollar, White is thought to have been feeding, uh, feeding information to Moscow for years. Of course they knew all this stuff about him. It says, while White's espionage has been an open secret, acknowledged by presidents from Truman to Nixon, historian Ben Steele discovered new notes from the economist uh, Princeton archives during the 1944, when he was at the height of his powers in the administration of President Roosevelt. When Roosevelt came in, Roosevelt brought stacks of these known card-carrying communists with him. That was open knowledge. A lot of them, again, hadn't even been born in the U.S., 
They come from the Eastern Bloc. It says, the, the essay headed by Political Economic Intro Futures, it says, outlines a post-war world where the Soviet specialist model of economic planning takes over from the American liberal capitalist one, according to an article of Mr. Steele in Foreign Affairs. Now tie that in with Agenda 21, an abolition of private properties, etc., etc., and it says U.S. delegates attending the Bretton Woods Conference, and it shows you who they all are, all the usual faces there. And it says, uh, and uh, it says, the unpublished notes argue that the West has demonized the Soviet Union and dreams of a strange alliance between the U.S. and their communist rivals that would create a new world order. Exactly what the Rees Commission found out. So that validates that. In his essay, White predicts that the change will be in the direction of increased control over industry and increased restrictions on the operations of competition and free enterprise. Well, it's absolutely true. Under the free trade negotiations, only selected big international corporation boys are allowed in. So that's already happened, you see. And plus we bail them out too, public-private. Extraordinarily, he concludes that Russia is the first instance of a socialist economy in action, and it works. And it did work for the Politburo and all the relatives, because it was really a hierarchy of relatives at the top all through its whole uh, time, and they, they looted the country well, as I say, when, and plundered it well too, and they ran off with billions uh, when the wall fell out to the west. And says, how Bretton Woods helped build the modern world. Harry Dexter White was one of the greatest economic minds in history. I don't think so, but he might have been bitterly disappointed with his legacy. He was arguably the most influential figure at the United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. Well, as I say, he was the Royal Institute of International Affairs boys, the biggest bankers in the world, promoted White. They put him out there to create the Bank for International Settlements that runs all the central private banks of the world. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, cutting through the matrix, talking about the World Bank, the Bank for International Settlements and so on, and the guy who was put forward by the big bankers to set it up, because he was one of their boys. And these bankers, as I say, also set up foundations that funded the far, far left in America, Britain and elsewhere. Because they run both sides of things, you see, the dialectic. But it says here, that uh, White was, uh, one of his big uh, things he did was establishment of the International Monetary Fund and the forerunner, of, the forerunner of the World Bank. So the World Bank, the IMF, and the Bank for International Settlements is really what he did. These twin financial institutions have played, and this is this propaganda, an important part in encouraging poorer countries to, to liberalize their economies by giving them access to credit and insisting they participate in global business networks. What it's done, of course, is allowed them to bring in the big international corporations that plunder them until they can find cheaper labor somewhere else. Then they move on, leaving a wasteland, as they know. Well, many believe this capitalist system is responsible for the world's unprecedented prosperity, has now emerged that even though White helped create it, he was in fact a communist sympathizer who believed that state-controlled economies would be more successful than capitalist ones. Well, that's happened. That's what public-private means, where, where private corporations can get massive sums from you, the taxpayer, to build whatever they're going to build, and they'll get money from, from the taxpayer to maintain roads and everything, but they just rake in the profits, the private side of it. 
Just White had clearly deluded himself about the repressive nature of the Soviet government, claiming that officials had guaranteed the freedom of religion, <laughs> and denying that the USSR intended to meddle in the affairs of other countries. White's communism is far from his image as a capitalist hero who so outmaneuvered the British and their legendary economist John Maynard Keynes that they ended up agreeing to the dollar being the currency of the IMF and World Bank instead of the pound. But if you actually go into the histories and read lots of books, you'll find that Keynes and Whites also were really in with Lord Rothschild. In fact, Lord Rothschild was taught by Keynes, and they all worked a lot of scams together uh, and all this big global business stuff. And the Bretton Woods Conference comprised 730 delegates from 44 allied nations, including the Soviet Union. And even though White emerged as an American hero, he'd already begun feeding the Russian information for most of that year. He was He was a spy. Among the consequences of the conference were the creation of the IMF and the World Bank. By contrast, soon after the end of the war, the Soviet Union started to fall behind the U.S. and fast-growing Europe, and within three decades was significantly poorer than its Western rivals. The ones at the top weren't poor at all because they were raking in uh, off a slave economy. It was almost, it was almost free labor, uh, the pittance the workers were all getting. And as I say, when they all left by the thousands uh, uh, that ran the Soviet Union, they ran off to Britain, for a little stop, generally, for London, and then over to the U.S. And we know where they all live now. So that's the world that you live in, folks. Uh, everything's a scam. Uh, only one side runs all sides. And it's the, the, the dialectic that they use to change things. You must get a crisis to change things. If everyone's on board with one agenda, you've got to get its opposite or the apparent opposite, and then you debate and debate until you come to an agreement and you come to the really what the object that you wanted to have in the first place. You got to, you achieved it. Also, Hugo Chavez is dead at 58 with cancer, and uh, we'll see what happens in this country now and if it's up for grabs or what. We'll soon find out. Now, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, as good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.